The election process in Russia is tightly managed by the government, but Navalny has been drawing big crowds to his protests and rallies all over the country, where he laces into Putin with no holes barred. Putin is a thief and the head of the entire corrupt system. The Kremlin is doing everything it can to make it difficult for Navalny to gain traction. For instance, the government says he can't be on the ballot because he was found guilty of embezzlement and what Navalny insists was a trumped-up charge. And he's barred from national television. But he's managed to get around that by reaching an ever-widening audience on social media channels and YouTube, where he has millions of followers. Mr. Putin realized that his, uh, it's not affordable for his system to give people more democracy. That's why in the uh, 2012, he completely changed his strategy and uh, start to arrest people, start, start to fabricate criminal cases. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. Thank you for tuning in once again. Please do hit that like button and subscribe while you're here. So I felt like the, Naval, the, the Navalny case, uh, for those that don't know, he passed away in prison yesterday. Uh, we don't have the details as to what transpired. I spoke to a relative of mine who's married into the family, who's from Russia, and I asked, you know, what they think. And apparently the the rumors are that there was foaming from the mouth and, you know, a lot of people are suspecting poisoning once again. So I wanted to explain to you guys how I analyze the news. Where, where do I come up with these zany conclusions? Oftentimes people will, will think that I'm crazy for reading things the way that I do, but I want to explain my perspective and how I come to it so that maybe uh, it can assist you in doing the same or at least in analyzing or dismissing my assessments of the news. So first off, I try and get a really well-rounded perspective on what's transpiring by reading a bunch of things from, you know, what I consider the, the enemy camp, the corporate media. Um, I also, for the longest time, I've watched uh, PBS Frontline. I watch a lot of documentaries that are put out by HBO. So for me, Navalny was a well-known figure. Uh, should he have been? That's arguable. Why would, Amer why would an American audience need to know about the opposition leader in Russia? And this is where my antennas always perk up is why? Why do I know so much about Navalny? So when the news came down yesterday, a lot of people reacted by going, all these people that are, you know, claiming to be so upset about this, they've never even heard of Navalny until today. They don't even know who he is. And I put out a, a tweet this morning, essentially explaining why that's not the case. There has been many, many documentaries made about him exclusively. Uh, HBO, PBS Frontline, I think make two. I've watched all of them. Uh, also, obviously, that was a 60 Minutes piece, which we opened up with, where they're giving a very uh, flowery description of who he is and what he stood for. Now, let me start by saying I don't have any problem with there being an opposition party in Russia to Putin. I think that there probably ought to be, of course. Uh, <laughs> but his the kind of hey geography that they were writing in real time about him and and these incredibly highly produced documentaries about him are what really raised an eyebrow for me. 
I was trying to figure out, you know, why? Why is this guy such a big figure? If you actually look at the polls, the polling in Russia, which, of course, Western politicos will say, oh, they're all lies. Okay, maybe. I don't know. But it never appeared that he was in any, he had no shot of actually winning the election and ousting Putin. So the allegations that this man was such such a existential threat to Putin uh, struck me as bizarre, particularly given that he was in prison. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me why Putin, assuming as all these all these people are theorizing that he's responsible for the death of Navalny or Navalny or that he ordered it while he was in prison, why would he do so yesterday? Well, you have had multiple funding bills from the United States Congress to the tune of 60-ish billion dollars that would be going to the Ukrainians. Why would he have pulled the trigger, both pun intended and not, uh, yesterday? When you've had these two funding bills that have failed already, the, the standalone for Israel, excuse me, the standalone, yeah, it was standalone for Israel, then it was all of them with the border, and now they've dropped the border, and now it's just Taiwan, Ukraine, and Israel, but to the tune of $95 billion. Why would, why would Putin give them this ammunition to pass this bill? And to me, the answer is he wouldn't have. You can feel whatever type of negative way you want about Putin, but I think it's pretty, pretty obvious that he's a, he's a, uh, he's a thoughtful operator. You know, he's KGB. He's, he's with it. He's with the game. You know, he knows what he's doing. So it doesn't make any sense to me that he would have done this with Navalny yesterday. So the reason I bring up those documentaries that I watched is that many people that are in my political circles, the more liberty, liberty oriented or conservative Republican, um, America first types. They're like, I'm none of these people even know who Navalny is. I've never heard of him. Well, this is why I think it's really important that you watch the media that the other side, your opposition party, uh, is consuming because it's my view that they, they seed the ground with narratives that they then plan to capitalize on down the road. And in the, in the case of Navalny, it's my belief, this is pretty unprovable given that we're talking about, you know, kind of black ops type <laughs> shenanigans overseas, but it's my belief that they had been seeding the ground, laying, laying the narrative amongst the Democrats, the Democrat voters in America to hate, not just Russia, but explicitly Putin for very for a very, very long time, upwards of almost a decade now. And I think that this is interesting given that, you know, for the longest time, it was the Democrats that had a lot of affinity for the USSR because a lot of them have affinity for communistic ideals. But over the past decade, they have been, uh, in my opinion, propagandized very heavily to believe that he is a, a authoritarian fascist type and ultimately their arch enemy because, and let's, let's lay out some of the case as to why, I mean, obviously he does do a lot of authoritarian stuff. So I'm not even saying that that's, that's wrong, but it's not as if the left is really opposed to authoritarianism now, are they? <laughs> no, not really. But the Russia gate and the, uh, the election manipulation allegations, uh, with Trump in the 2015, 16 arena, 
That, to me, was the first obvious sign that it was the CIA that was laying this laying this groundwork, trying to establish public support in America amongst the left, who had historically been more of the opposition party when it came to the military-industrial complex and ex specifically the war on terror and the wars in the Middle East. And it seems to me quite evident that they were, in fact, trying to propagandize them to be very pro-antagonistic uh, relations with Russia. So they convinced them that this orange Hitler in Trump has now been foisted upon them because Putin has manipulated the, the outcome, given him, you know, secret information and blah, blah, blah. None of which really turns out to be true, but they were told that for four straight years the entirety of the trump presidency only at the very end did it ever come out that in fact yeah yeah we lied adam schiff and all these other scumbags total total liars they didn't mean any of it but for the democrat voters most of them still have internalized that to an extreme degree where they they genuinely perceive that their safety their security has been jeopardized because of putin's actions think about how crazy that is but that's how they that's how they see things so simultaneously, they're being they're being force fed these hagiographies, which is just a kind of a a very a very optimistic uh, perspective or a retrospective on someone's life and what they're about. That's what they've done with Navalny for years, laying him as this this courageous opposition fighter to this fascist tyrant Putin that ruined your life with Vladimir or with uh, with Donald Trump. That's that's how they perceive Navalny. He's he's their hero. So now now their hero has died at the hands of Putin, allegedly, in prison. And they are bloodthirsty. They are salivating. They are absolutely ready for war. And it's my opinion that this is exactly what this op has been about for a decade, is that they have tried to turn the anti-war elements within America into being very bloodthirsty and very war-ready when it comes to Russia and most explicitly explicitly Vladimir Putin because they very much are intending to topple him. Now let me also explain more of why I believe this to be the case. As I explained on Timcast over a year ago, as Putin said with the uh, Tucker Carlson interview just a, a week ago now, he had actually been very favorable and, and interested in joining NATO when he came into leadership and early on in his tenure in the 2000s, he, he thought that that was a pathway that made the most sense, actually in the 90s, but also in the 2000s, he was still open to it. And it's my belief that these color re revolutions that surrounded his border, Georgia, and the, the list is really, really long. I've done it on prior episodes. I'd have to look it up to remember them all, but we're talking like 10 to 12 different color revolutions, not all on his border, but throughout the Middle East. It's been standard operating procedure for the CIA for a very long time. So you can read some of Scott Horton's books if you want to know more about the details on that, but they're, they're very provable. You know, NGOs, State Department cutouts that, that fund the opposition parties to, to make these revolutions come to pass. So the Maidan revolution in Ukraine pops off in 2014. And I think at that point, even though during his interview with Tucker Carlson, he details how they were aware that it was a coup. 
But according to Putin, he was okay with cooperating with it. But I think his primary concern, and I think his primary concern to this day, was control of Crimea because their lease had been torn up. They wanted to have access to that for the warm water port and the, their military naval base. So that was his primary concern. But aside from that, I don't think that he was much interested in, in going to war with them at that time. But then there comes the bombardment campaign in the Donbass region. There's a few other color revolutions that are on his border or, or nearby that start to make it more and more clear this is my this is all my analysis you can dismiss it you can say it's nonsense whatever but this is this is my firm belief that this is this is putin's mindset he goes from a guy who wants to join nato he wants to end the cold war sincerely he wants to enter the western economic model he wants to have good relationships with america and the rest of uh europe and that's 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 his that's his pathway forward to much consternation of the domestic population, which very much still had a lot of animosity towards the West, and many of them did not want to join. I think many of them did, but many of them did not, and he still is taking that path because he thinks it's the best for either himself or his people or whatever his analysis is to come to that conclusion. But because of all of these color revolutions with the CIA is fostering, Victoria Nuland and, and her ilk are, are proving time after time that whatever flowery language the State Department delivers to Vladimir Putin during their conversations, their actions speak much louder. And their actions are telling Vladimir Putin that they intend to regime change him. That the color revolution is on his doorstep and it is coming for him directly. And I think this is when he makes the shift into a much more antagonistic approach with the West and ultimately concludes that he's going to have to demonstrate force at some point to get them to hopefully back off. And I think that's what happened in Ukraine, both for geopolitical purposes in terms of strategy and, and land acquisition for uh, defensive purposes, but also because he needed to have a buffer that was actually neutral between he and NATO and Poland. And I think he concluded that, that the only thing that the West would listen to was force. And that's tragic. Obviously, I wish that that wasn't his conclusion, and, and even more so, I, I wish that I don't think that he was right. Uh, but it seems quite clear to me that the U.S. State Department had decided that they were going to topple him one way or the other, and he he decided to make it harder for them. And that's and the Ukrainian people were essentially collateral damage in that process. And I know that's that's a very harsh assessment to have come to, but I I believe it sincerely. I think that's exactly what transpired. And I think that's exactly why we're now on the precipice of World War III, because there has been a plan to expand NATO and ultimately encircle Russia for decades now, and they and they have not abated. And, and it has it has the reason I know this to be the case is that regardless of who the president is, the policy doesn't change. Was there ever any serious withdrawal or or pullback from this this process? I mean, I guess you could say slightly under the Trump administration, but here's the reality. Trump bragged openly that he also was the first president to give live munitions to the Ukrainians. Obama was only giving them blankets and pillows. We gave them bombs. This is Trump. So this trend stayed intact for 30 years and four different presidencies, five almost. Oh, wait, Clinton, Bush, Obama. Trump, Biden, five, 
Five. Five presidencies. Almost almost my entire life just consistently marching this NATO alliance up to his border and continuing to migrate weaponry into these nations that regardless of whether or not you believe NATO is just a voluntary defensive alliance, it still, you have to admit that if you're going to put weaponry, serious weaponry and missile launchers and things of that nature in some of these nations and, and get closer and closer to Russia, that at some point Russia is going to look at this and say, this doesn't look like a defensive alliance to me. This looks like a preparation for an invasion. That's what it looks like. Could it, could it just be a defensive alliance? Sure, maybe, maybe, but how could you possibly know? Especially when you're given verbal agreements that are constantly walked back time and time again, you're gonna to start to think to yourself, yeah, these people are my enemy. And yeah, these people prepare, are preparing to take me out and possibly take out my, my nation. So I think this is why he came to this conclusion. And I think this is why the, the narrative has been seeded with Navalny for over a decade. I genuinely believe that, that they were, they were targeting specifically with psychological operations, very high level production quality. You can watch some of these documentaries about Navalny. They won awards for God's sakes. I believe just last year it won either like an Academy Award or something for one of the best documentaries. It's wild. This is not, this was never a serious, like real legitimate threat to topple Putin. But he was being force-fed to the American left as this heroic figure. Now, let's keep in mind, he's not some progressive. This is not a guy that they would like. In fact, he's, he sounds, in terms of rhetoric, much more like Donald Trump than he does Joe Biden. So the left shouldn't have liked him, but they loved him. Because, not because of his beliefs, but because he was the opposition to their own orange Hitler in Putin. That's what they were told to believe, and they believe it dutifully. So yes, I know I sound crazy. And yes, I know it, this requires a lot, of, a lot of disparate data points to connect all these dots and to, to come up with some sort of cohesive and cogent narrative, but I think I've done it. And it's up to you to decide if you think that my analysis is valid or not. But that's my sincere belief after years, years of following the news and learning how to dissect it and understanding all of the mockingbird and different operations that are ran to to propagandize us and just to prove that i'm not totally crazy here's michael mcfall the former ambassador to russia during the second term of biden uh, of obama's administration when victoria newland and her ilk were pre prepping for the color revolution Guys, I don't know what to say. I, I'm going to try to be analytic, but I want you to know Alexei Navalny was my friend. Uh, I was with his wife last night. I'm here in Munich talking to her. Yeah. Uh, his daughter, Dasha, goes to school at Stanford. So uh, this is a pretty emotional time for me. Putin killed Navalny. Let's be crystal clear about that. I don't care about any negotiation, you know, investigation, his ill arrested had him in solitary confinement he has put him in a, a, a cell which was designed to, and today he is dead putin killed navalny and why did he because putin is weak you don't kill people if you're strong putin killed navalny because navalny was the one opposition leader in russia that putin feared the most so this is a really tragic day for me, and it should be a tragic day for anybody who cares about democracy. Navalny, in my view, was the uh, put him in the category 
were brave, courageous leaders that, you know, remember, he went back to Russia. He didn't have to go back. He went back for his country because he was a patriot that believed that his country could be different. Uh, I put him in the same ranks as the Navalny of, of Mandela and uh, Valenza and Havel, but with one tragic difference now, uh, Navalny is dead. So, yeah, uh, the ambassador to Russia in 2012 and 2014 has that to say. Now, before you go, well, it's probably true, Clint. Well, let's think about this for a second. Were we able to come to any conclusion when it came to the mm, death of Epstein in prison? No, no, didn't, didn't come to a conclusion there. In fact, there hasn't really been any follow-up. In fact, we don't really talk about it at all. Even though this guy allegedly had all of the compromise materials on the entire American political establishment and much of the political elite all over the world. But we don't know anything. We don't know anything about how he took his own life while in solitary confinement in a federal prison in America. Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is once again brought to you by Nadeau Shave Co. N-A-D-E-A-U shaveco.com. Veteran-owned, family-operated, stainless steel, single blade, only for savages. Men with extraordinary levels of testosterone. Minimize ingrown hairs, razor burns, and irritation with their 100% recyclable, plastic-free razors. Single blade. Enjoy your shave. N-A-D-E-A-U shaveco.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN. Get yourself 15% off the best razor in the game. And once again, do business with a company that doesn't make you feel bad for being a man. God bless America. NadeauShaveco.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN. With the surveillance footage off and the, the guards asleep. And that's just what it is. We're just to accept that. But Mr. McFall here says, we don't need an investigation. We already know that Putin killed Navalny. Now, does that strike you as narrative setting? Yes. Does that strike you as a proper level of caution, inquisitiveness, patience to figure out what actually happened? Given that we're talking about the largest nuclear power on earth, I think that if anything, prudence is called for. Not according to the former ambassador to Russia, not at all. Let's just say it with absolute reckless abandon, despite any investigation, despite any evidence to the contrary, despite all of the qui bono analysis that I did earlier. Why would Putin do this now? How does it benefit him? Does it make sense? The answer is no, it doesn't. Does that mean he didn't? No, it doesn't. But when you're trying to figure something out, at least ask that question as opposed to McFall's analysis, which is that this just demonstrates that Putin is weak. It couldn't be more simple. If you're strong, you don't do this. Yes, you're right, actually. If you're strong, you don't do this. So why did he? Is, is it really just that simple that you think that he's weak? He's, he's so weak that he was able to imprison for years the opposition leader? Does that make sense? Is, is his is his stranglehold on power this tenuous? And if it is, can he do this and get away with it? A lot of this doesn't make sense. And as I said to start off, I, I can't say definitively whether or not he did. I don't know. But I also can't say definitively that it wasn't 
MI6 or the State Department or some other intelligence agency or Ukrainian actions. We don't know. Nobody knows. We can't know. It just happened. How could we possibly? Was he poisoned? Was it a heart attack? Suicide. I don't know. We don't know. But the ambassador to Russia knows instantaneously without an investigation. Do you see what I'm, do you see, this is the analysis that I go through. I just, I'm trying to walk you through it so that you can do it on your own. I'm sure many of you already do, but I think that this will be helpful to a lot of people as to like, how do you come to these wild conclusions? Well, they're not that wild. This is just rational analysis with lots of years of experience, watching the media lie through their teeth time and time again, and force feed narratives that are totally whole cloth fiction, bullshit, propaganda. If you have gone through that, that process enough times, you ought to be able to recognize, well, this reminds me of that last one. And for me, it does. When it comes to Assad in Syria, much of the same nonsense, stories that are provable lies that were told when they were trying to ramp us up to invade Syria. Ultimately, the political and popular will was not present in America, thank God, and Obama decided to walk it back. He decided to say, I won't do it unless... Congress votes on it and they didn't have the courage to do so. The whole reason I'm walking you through this narrative because it is so similar to the Assad one is that I want the same th outcome. I want us to, to not have the popular or political will for them to green light this $95 billion defense spending budget to now take us into what could lead in short order to hot conflict with multiple nuclear powers. We have to avoid that. And if you're able to see through the propaganda, I think you'll be less, less prone to fall victim to these deceitful narratives that are so clearly being pushed upon us. Further evidence to my claims. Barack Obama tweets out last night saying, Alexei Navalny was a fearless advocate for his beliefs who died unbroken by the tyranny he opposed. He fought corruption, inspired millions, and never wavered in his insistence on free expression, the rule of law, and a Russia that is accountable to the people and not a dictator. He died in unyielding defense of his vision of a better future for his country, a vision and a courageous example that will never die. Now, Barack Obama feels that strongly about a foreign opposition leader. It's interesting, right? Former U.S. ambassador. Now you have Barack Obama, the, the scion of the neoliberals, as far as I'm concerned. They all have the same conclusion. Interesting. All right. Now let's hop into the Munich Security Conference, which started just yesterday. And uh, Navalny happened to die exactly on the day of the beginning of the Munich Security Conference. And his wife, Yulia Navalnyaya, whom the U.S. State Department started calling a widow since 2021, found herself in Munich on the day of her husband's death and on the first day of the MSC with a fully ready-made speech dedicated to Navalny's death. Putin and his friends will bear personal responsibility, she stated from the stage. And after her long speech, Navalny uh, approached Nancy Pelosi, kissed her, and thanked her, smiling. For what? I don't know for what, but it's interesting. We got just a quick uh, clip of her walking up on stage, maybe telling, I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> Little wry smile there. Love of your life. Just died in prison hours prior. 
It's interesting. Doesn't does it say everything? No, it doesn't. It's just interesting. It's just like I don't know about you. Have you ever been in love? I have. Well, if you've been in love, and uh, I'm very fortunate in that I've never lost someone that I loved, or at least not a romantic partner. Uh, but imagine had you. Would you be able to go up and give a speech the same day, hours after finding out the news? Probably not. Maybe you're a very. Um, she's Russian. Maybe she's got she's got that that good stuff that I ain't got. I'm too soft. Maybe she's just a savage. Still, a smile. Weird. Weird. Like, I can understand being very stoic and, and pissed and getting up there and just hammering everything. I can't imagine getting up there and even being able to put on a fake smile, even for a split second. Just interesting. It's just interesting. Is it not? I think it's interesting. My Lord Babo says it took two of the world's largest media 11 to 13 minutes to prepare stories about the death of Alexei Navalny from the moment the information about his death appeared. Despite the fact that there is still no official information about the cause of his death, the West version is obvious. Navalny was killed personally by the Russian president. This, at least, is how the headline in foreign media read with the Russian president's surname necessarily appearing alongside Navalny's. And just a few of these headlines. Jailed Russian opposition figure Alexei Navalny dies. Prison service says U.S. warns key Ukrainian town. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Russian opposition leader Navalny has died. Prison service says. Uh, yeah, Russian activist and Putin critic dies in prison. Alexei Navalny, Putin critic, is dead. Russian state media reports. Alexei Navalny, principal opposition. Oh, it's in a different language. It's in French. I can't read that. Anyways, uh, yeah. Just like very, very quick reaction. Now, some of this is just naturally going to be, uh, you know, I think I think much of the news is now being done with AI, uh, like artificial intelligence to try and craft very rudimentary breaking news so that they can try and be first or try and be early so that they stay relevant. So this doesn't, this doesn't tell you much either, but it's just another interesting note that the, the narrative is already written. You already have kind of a glowing glowing tale about this heroic opposition leader. You don't know what's happened to him at all, but in the headline, you're still going to detail he's he's he was the enemy uh, he was the opposition leader to Putin. Trying to connect that dot, right? Now let's transfer over to America's opposition leader, or at least Trump's opposition leader in Nikki Haley. And she had this to say. Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is brought to you once again by Phoenix Ammunition. The greatest ammo company to ever walk the face of the earth. Can a company walk? Yes, it can. Because it's made of American fucking machinery by Americans and we can do whatever we want. Because we're the militia industrial complex. PhoenixAmmo.com. If you are running low, ladies and gentlemen, this is the only place to go. F-E-N-I-X-A-M-M-O.com. Get you some. They have the best Best prices, they already give you a discount if you buy in bulk. You don't need a promo code. You just need to support companies that don't hate you for the love of God. And there is no company that loves you more, in my humble opinion, than PhoenixAmmo.com. The problem is if someone is not there to rein him in, he gets out of control. Look at what he said about NATO. Think about the fact that he went and he said that if they didn't pull their weight, that they would, and then he would not defend them. But he took it a step further, Neil. He went and said that he would, if they didn't pull their weight, he would encourage Putin to invade them. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Someone who wants to be president of the United States 
is siding with a thug who kills his political opponents. He's siding with a dictator who arrests American journalists and hold them hostage. He's siding with right. a man who has literally always wanted to defeat America. We can't have that. He put our allies in danger who stood with us at 9-11 and he put every military service member in danger when he did. So there you go with Nikki Haley. She says one week ago, Donald Trump encourages Putin to invade NATO countries. Now it's been more than 24 hours since we learned of the death of Alexei Navalny and Trump has yet to say his name. We cannot have a president who sides with murderous thugs who want to destroy America. Now, has, has Putin ever talked about destroying America? No, he hasn't. Did, did Donald Trump actually say that he would encourage them to invade uh, other nations? No, he didn't. He said he would encourage them to do whatever they want. Because his point was, if you're not going to pay for your defense, you don't get defended. Kind of like a mob boss, which is, much more apt, is a much more apt description of how the American empire functions or how it ought to, if it doesn't want to go bankrupt instantaneously, even though I would like to see it end regardless. But I think if you, if you add all of these little disparate bits up, you start to, you start to come to a bit of a clearer picture as to the narrative that's been painted, the, the flaws in it, if you've actually paid close attention and, and what that means and where we're headed. And to make it explicit where I think we're headed is that there are many entities or influences within the U.S. government and the, the deep state, the unelected bureaucracy, that have been angling to go to war or at least topple through color revolution Vladimir Putin for many years. And I think that, that, that this rundown should make it fairly obvious that that's the case. Whether or not they will prevail in that, I don't know nor can I say with any certainty, but it certainly seems as if that's the trajectory that we're headed in. Let's check out that last little bit of the Navalny uh, 60 Minutes segment. Look, and at the uh, start of the 2011, I was a respectful lawyer. At the end of the 2012, I was several time convict. He was close to his brother, Oleg, seven years younger. So it was painful for him when three years ago, the government, to get him to stop his activism, he believes, convicted him and Oleg of embezzlement, a ruling the European Court of Human Rights called arbitrary and unfair. His supporters came out in droves all across the country. And like Navalny, close to 1,700 were arrested. These were the first protests of this magnitude in Russia in six years. He returned to Moscow and went right out campaigning again. But lately, he's been concentrating on rural areas, holding rallies far from the big cities in places like Siberia. Putin fears him, Navalny says, because of his ability to draw crowds at rallies and into the streets. So the connection that you ought to make there, or at least the one that I make, is that Navalny and the the persecution that he suffered for many years, if anything, it ought to remind you of the treatment that Donald Trump has received. Does it not? All the way up to the point of his supporters being arrested to the tunes of thousands, which is exactly what happened to Trump supporters after that fateful January morning. So the portrayal is fascinating. The fact that these same people 
who advocate on behalf of the continued persecution and ultimate prosecution and imprisonment of Donald Trump and his supporters are rallying in defense of the opposite opposition leader in Russia, who's just an organic, not color revolution, not CAA cutout, not backed State Department entity, certainly not with his model good looks and his chiseled jaw. No, just a natural opposition leader in Russia. But they, they have nothing but positive things to say about him and nothing but negative things to say about Donald Trump. Hmm. Hmm. I just want to make sure you hear me humming. Hmm. Lots, lots to think about here. Why? Why is he so favored? Despite the fact that he's got quite the nativistic uh, approach to immigrants and different cultures in Russia, the same way Trump does in America, or at least allegedly does. I don't even, I think that's much overstated, but Navalny has more in common with Trump than not in that regard. And yet he's the hero, not a negative word to be said. Trump, on the other hand, nothing but negative words to be said. And no one raises an eyebrow. No one goes, hmm, not even a hmm, not even a wait, not even a wait and see. No, no. Let's just ramp to World War III. Fuck the consequences. Who needs an investigation? And that is why I wanted to do this episode. I wanted to implore you, dear reader, listener, viewer, to dig a little deeper, to think more conscientiously about what you're being force-fed, what it means, what the end goals are, where we're headed, and what you want to see in the world. Because I continue to repeat myself in that I do not want to see World War III. I do not want to see a wider war at the behest of some of the most reprehensible, monstrous human beings that have ever walked the face of the earth. And you can include Putin in that list if you'd like. I'm fine with that. But you'd also have to include the Victoria Newlands and the Barack Obamas and the Joe Bidens and to a lesser extent Donald Trump's of the world because that's the truth. We are being led astray by a bunch of people that are incentivized to protect their own power structure and their own pocketbooks at the detriment of you and your loved ones and your future, your financial security, your safety, and everything else. This is not to your benefit. The propaganda to the contrary is deceit. It is a lie. Dismiss it. Think for yourself and come to your own conclusions. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it around. Do hit the like button, subscribe, leave a comment. If you disagree with me, which I'm sure some of you will, viciously so, go ahead and leave comments below and I will try and uh, have conversations with you as long as it's at least quasi-respectful. I do engage as much as possible and I will catch you guys next time. We're out of here. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?